On today's brand new podcast, we're talking about perfectionism, the pursuit of progress, and happy Gilmore? My name is Jake Thompson, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and this is the Compete Everyday Podcast, a show designed to encourage and equip you with the tools to build a winning mindset so you can build your winning life. Text PODCAST to 972-945-9113 to join our Morning Motivation Club and visit CompeteEveryday.com for past podcast episodes and to learn more about our resources and gear for ambitious people who are ready to start winning. Welcome to the show. up competitor jake thompson here your chief encouragement officer and welcome or welcome back to the compete every day podcast excited today to get to introduce to you my new friend from toronto canada mental performance coach sam levens sam and i have an awesome conversation just kind of shooting the crap for lack of a better phrase both of us laughed off air that our ADHD got in the way as she and I just kind of chased some rabbits, pulling at different threads on conversation, talking about Happy Gilmore and why Happy Gilmore is such a important part of visualization, what the lessons are in it, Groundhog Day, and a ton of others, including Talladega Nights. So if you're like me, you're hearing some of the lessons, you're going to go back and re-watch these films today or this week or this weekend. But Sam comes in, guest stars today, gives us a lot of great insight, takeaways, and things we can immediately apply into our mental game to build that championship mindset, to build that winning mindset, to be able to start creating a more impactful, positive influence on the outcomes we desire. Before we welcome Sam to the show, I want to encourage you to one, join the community. Head on over to community.competeeveryday.com, download the free app. You don't have to go on Facebook, you don't have to go on Instagram, you don't have to go on Twitter. In fact, that's one of the things that community members talk about enjoying the most is that it is a true community. They're not getting caught up in social media, we're having conversations, they're getting coached up, they're getting better, and most of all, they're building the habits, the mindset, and the focus necessary to reach their career and life goals. So I would love if you joined Competitor Nation, just head on over to community.competeeveryday.com. Now, let's welcome to the show the mental performance master herself, Sam Levins. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, looking forward to this. Um, You are actually the first female hockey player that I've ever had a conversation with that I'm fully aware of, um, really? met some guys that have played. I mean, I'm Texas. We that's like, yeah, we don't have hockey. Fair. Like I live in the Metroplex now and there's like a Dr. Pepper star center on every corner up here, um, all around pushing the stars. But where I grew up in like the sticks of Texas, uh, there was no hockey. Uh, we didn't even have lacrosse, which is like the one sport I'm like, oh, I'd love to have played as a kid. So yeah. talk to me a little bit. You grew up Canadian or you are Canadian. Uh, you grew up there. I feel like it's kind of like football in Texas. You, you're born with a hockey stick in hand. We're born with football in hand. Tell me about growing up playing the game. Yeah. So from a young age, loved the game. Like I grew up in the ranks as often as possible. Uh, my older brother played too. Most of my friends played. So it was like 
every day there was something hockey related. It was, you know, Saturday night watching hockey with my dad or going to a Friday night practice instead of socializing with everyone else at school or, you know, going on insane road trips to watch my brother play one game and then having a six hour drive back. It was just nonstop in the rink and I loved every second of it. I like, what'd you love most? That's a tough question. It's like picking your favorite kid. I know, but you got to answer like what, what kept bringing you back to the game? I'll say. That's so hard. I, I just, I loved it. I mean, winning is great, but I did play for the occasional team that maybe hypothetically went one whole season without winning a single game. That might've happened one time. And <laughs> that year somehow, yeah, it may, maybe happened just once. Um, but that year was somehow the most fun I've ever had playing hockey. Like it's, it's one of those things. It's really hard to pinpoint what it is that makes me love it so much, but it's, it's like a safe place, my happy place. I'm, I'm comfortable there. I'm confident there. I love playing. I love watching, coaching, you still, whatever you it still is. still play pickup now? I play roller hockey now. So I grew mm-hmm. up playing ice. And when I was yeah. about 17 or 18, I made the switch over to roller hockey full time. And I actually played for Team Canada roller hockey for a handful of years. And now I'm just, it's been a little bit of men's league with COVID. I haven't been playing a ton, but there's a lot yeah. of men's league and, and some tournaments in the States. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, y'all have had a, a little bit of a different experience up north uh, the last few years than we have. For for the listeners that aren't quite as in the know on hockey, what is, obviously, besides roller skates and, and ice skates, what's any other differences between the roller hockey and ice hockey? Oh, so with ice hockey, you typically have the end goal of playing professionally or in the Olympics or in college. And with roller, there isn't that kind of final end game. Like there are some pro leagues in Europe, but it's not high paying. And there are some schools in the States where you can go to play roller, but like, again, it's not um, as intense and, and accessible as ice hockey is. So I think because of those differences, roller is so much more fun and laid back and it's such a, a close knit community. And the game itself is so different because it's uh it's non-contact roller so there's no offside no icing so yeah (laughs) exactly you know you're not as scared going into corners sometimes um yeah it's just it's so fun and it's such a, a game of control and possession and vision and it really makes you think as a player instead of playing this like run and gun aggression style it's a controlled kind of strategic game and and i really appreciate that about roller and and it's it's like my biggest source of happiness. So I, I really love it. And it's very different from ice, but still amazing. I love that. Well, and one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you today is, is the mental side of sports. Um, you're a certified mental performance coach. You've got your master's in sports and exercise psychology. Uh, one of the things I'm curious from as someone who grew up playing, what was the moment? Do you remember a moment when you started to realize either the mental game was a struggle for you or there was just so much more potential of what you could do if you learn the mental side. For a lot of us, it's like we either like crap the bed, for lack of a better phrase, in certain areas of sports, having no idea mental performance existed. Or we have a lot of people who did really well, but they didn't understand how much more they could be doing 
if they had developed the mental side. So for you as someone who grew up playing, I mean, having a stick in hand, what was kind of the, the mental turning point for you and then started to push you down this path for a career? There wasn't actually a turning point in sport that made me reflect. It was kind of once I was in university and I wasn't playing ice anymore, I was learning about these concepts and I, I did my undergrad in psychology. So I just took a few sports psych courses. And as I started learning about those things, I was reflecting back on my ice hockey career and thinking, oh my, I was not doing the right things. I probably could have done so much more had I had um, a mental performance coach or if I knew anything about sports psychology generally. Uh, but in hindsight, like I, I was mean to myself as an athlete. Like I expected so much of myself and I never showed emotion and I, you know, every mistake would tear me down and, and slumps. I would just spiral, spiral out of control after one mistake and it would turn into a bad period, then a bad game, then a bad weekend. And then suddenly it's weeks later and I, I haven't played well in a while. Um, and I just kind of thought that was normal for hockey and, and for sports generally. And being a, a woman playing a male dominant sport, like there was no way I was going to talk about my emotions and, and risk not seeming tough to the boys. So I just, I put up this like tough persona and I was like, I'll bounce back. I'm fine. And I just kept being hard on myself because I thought that's what I should do. And I thought that's the thing that would push me to be better. And in hindsight, it's like, wow, I was mean. Like there's a difference between being hard on yourself and expecting more and just ripping yourself apart after every little mistake. So once I learned about sports psychology, I looked back and thought I probably handled things very poorly and could have done things differently had I known better. But um, I think that that's also part of my um, my inspiration in my job. I, I want to make sure that no athlete is doing to themselves what I did to myself back then. Yeah. And, and that's, Hindsight always 2020, you know, we all have those moments where we can look back and think, Oh, if only I'd known this more effectively, then what would life look like? I mean, I remember reading Carol Dweck's mindset for the first time and like my eyes just being opened to decisions I made things I did like high school growing up that I'm like, that's why I did this. Like I never understood what was going on internally, but now I know. So let me ask you, because I think, you know, I've talked to a handful of, of people in our space recently, and, and I think a lot of athletes struggle with that internal self-talk. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's been some talk lately with the, the passing of the Stanford soccer player, Katie, mm -hmm. um, and, and this struggle with anything but perfection. And what happens when we're not perfect on the field or we're not perfect in, in the classroom, we're not perfect at work, we get in that internal negative loop and it just beats us down. As someone who is a recovering, I don't know if you would say it's recovering perfectionist or recovering yeah. uh, negative self-talk, mm -hmm. what is something that you try to encourage the athletes about the idea of progress, not perfection? And, and how do you try to get that through their heads, especially today when, you know, everything's on our phone and we're seeing highlight reels and, and we think there's all this extra pressure and we're putting pressure on ourselves that it's a little overwhelming for a 28 to 38 year old, much less somebody at 16. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest piece is to, to acknowledge that perfection is not real. It does not exist. Like perfection essentially means that like you've hit the pinnacle, can't get any better. You can't get faster and stronger and more self-aware. And like, that's just not true. You can always be better. There's always room for improvement, no matter who you are. 
So this idea that we're always striving for perfection is so flawed because you'll never attain that. You'll never get there. It's, it's just an arbitrary word. Like there really isn't a definition. So I think, well, there's a definition obviously, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's not something that you can eventually reach. It's always just slightly out of reach. No matter how good you get, you never actually get there. And that can really tear you down. Cause you're like, I'm aiming for this and I can't get there. And every time I try, I'm still not there. So it, it, it tears you down eventually. You're like, I'm trying to achieve this and I can't do it. So I think, you know, when talking to athletes, I like to ask what would a perfect game look like to you? And for a goalie in hockey, like statistically, sure, you can get a shutout, no goals against. Great. Statistically, perfect. No goals against. But did you make a lucky save when you were out of position a little bit? Did you make a save off like the knob of your stick? Did someone hit a post? Because that means you didn't play the perfect game because you did make mistakes or you got lucky a few times. But statistically speaking, you did have that perfect game. So it's, it's you know, figuring out their definition of perfection and what it is to them. And, you know, if they describe an actual perfect situation, poke holes, just poke holes in it and prove to them like it doesn't exist perfection is so not real can i ask you along those lines how you maybe massage the conversation or 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 shift the direction slightly from the idea of perfection to to similar vein the idea of greatness and excellence because for every mountain we climb there's a mountain on the other side of it and it can have that similar overwhelming feel that we get with perfection in terms of man i got to this level crap i got to do it all over again and, and that can be exhausting for individuals, almost like that trying to always be perfect. And so how do we walk that line ourselves for, I would almost say contentment, but not complacency, happiness for the progress made, pursuing more, but not complacent because of the progress made? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um... I mean, have you had the instance where it's like, I'm good. Like I, I think about it from a standpoint of it's for a lot of people, it's either exhausting for them. It's exhausting because it's like, I always have something else to climb. And that, that may be because it's an outcome focused perspective versus I'm just working the process every day, trying to get better. And then on the opposite end, you have the people that's like, I'm just good enough. Or my ego says I'm good. I don't need to stress and strive and do any more. And I feel like it's that, it's that in between spot that I think a lot of people try to fall into of how do I just focus on the process of growth and not get so overwhelmed by where I fell short or becoming complacent. And I'm so curious from your experience, if you've had athletes dealt with that, if you've dealt with that, what are some things you've done to kind of reshift that focus back into the here and now? Oh, I have so many thoughts about this. I'm trying to figure out which direction (laughs) to start in. Um, so firstly, I'll start with, you mentioned, you know, I got to this level. Oh crap. I have to get to the next one that right there. There's like a simple reframe and obviously nothing's simply done, but simple doesn't mean easy, but it's simple. Yes. That's a good point. Simple fix. Instead of I got here, crap, I have to go to the next one. It's I got here. Wow. Good for me. I made it here. Now, what do I get to do next? What is my next step? But like pause for a moment and think like, wow, I got here, you know, maybe look back and figure out how you got here and what you're going to take forward with you to level up again. So it's, it's, you know, giving yourself credit and praise and appreciation for what you've done and then recognizing that you get to do more now. So, um, 
I totally lost my train of thought there. Okay. It's okay. (laughs) It's the balance of, of, you know, this constant pressure to be better, almost kind of like that pursuit of perfection, but really the idea that you never arrive, you're always becoming and Mm -hmm. finding that balance of embracing that versus getting caught in that complacent side of I've achieved this. Let me take my foot off the gas. Yeah. Um, and I think a big part of it is who you're comparing yourself to. So oftentimes when we are comparing ourselves to other people and we're looking at people who are better than us or worse than us, that's when the complacency comes in. Because if, if we are the best player on our team and we're comparing ourselves to our teammates, like that's good enough. We're complacent. We're fine with where we are because we're better than them. But oh, and that's so dangerous. Da- you are. Can I, yeah. can I hit on that? Like for listeners, yeah. like that's so dangerous because what if your teammates not that good? And like, you're way talented, way better, but you're sinking your effort just to be just better than them. I feel like that's what we run into all the time when we get stuck in the comparison game is somebody's going after the wrong target or lower standards. And so we shrink our opportunity for it. So I like wanted to hammer that because I'm, I'm all about breaking this idea of comparison that I feel like so many people get caught up in. Yeah. And when those people who are not as skilled as you necessarily see you, they might be building those good habits to improve and to be better while you're just kind of sitting back and thinking, nice, good enough. I'm better than them. That's great. But once you start comparing who you are now to who you used to be, to who you want to be, and all those comparisons are within yourself, there's never a point where you're like, I'm done. Because every time you level up, you're just trying to beat yourself again and again and again, and you're always going to be improving so long as you're comparing yourself to who you were, to who you want to be. So that piece of complacency tends to come when we are comparing ourselves to others. And honestly, that feeling of being overwhelmed by not being good enough also comes from comparing ourselves to others. But if we're able to uh, acknowledge where we are now and have that awareness and recognize, you know, what it looks like to be a few steps behind where we are now or ahead of where we are now, uh, we have a more realistic kind of direction that we want to head in and a, a strategy moving forward for that improvement. Awesome. Uh, one of the things I want to ask you about that I always find interesting, and, and I wouldn't say interesting, I, I say it more from like my own perspective and growing up of the balance for a lot of people of visualization and this idea of manifestation. And the reason I say that is because like I grew up not having this sit down, imagine the perfect game, imagine how you're going to respond if you throw an interception, any of that. It was like, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to execute it. And so I wasn't preparing myself mentally when things got off course. However, when you talk to a lot of people that aren't as familiar with the mental game and they hear this idea of visualization, they think it's the, oh, if you can imagine in your head and believe it, it's going to happen. And they completely take out the idea of you got to get reps. Occasionally there's lucky breaks that happen. I mean, Tom Brady talked about in the man in the arena, like things have to happen, but really it's about action and work the visualization kind of helps prepare you for that. And so I'd love from your perspective, how you help athletes get out of the believe it, it's going to happen mentality or stigma that they may have, or even adults that you work with and get into the really what visualization is designed to do and how it helps us. So, uh, I actually, I like to lean on a movie, happy Gilmore. Brain. (laughs) Yeah. How old are you, Sam? I got to ask. I'm 27 this year. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that makes me even happier because I knew, <laughs> I knew because of when you'd gotten your, your undergrad masters, you were younger, but the fact that you referenced this movie, which was like 
in my days of like high school, like that has made me so happy. So brownie points all the way around. All of yes. us that are like over 30, pushing 40, <laughs> we're like, yes, happy Gilmore. Like, if you know that people that look at me at, at speaking events, when I'll reference, I did, I don't know if you ever played video games growing up, but like I did and the Contra <laughs> cheat code of up, up, down, down, like that, the main one, I referenced it in an event recently and got all of these blank stares from everybody in their twenties. <laughs> and the one guy in the back that was like 42 was like, I know what that is. I was like, Oh, thank God. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yes. So happy Gilmore. Okay. So talk to me about all happy. All right. So happy Gilmore, lots of frustration. You know, <laughs> there's definitely a, a little a tiny hint of anger in there somewhere. And when he's learning to golf, uh, um, Chubbs is telling him to go to his happy place and to figure out what that place is where he can be calm and be Zen and do his thing. And it would be great if that was it. And that was the end of the movie, although we'd miss out on all of all of the good content, the good humor and the most quotable lines ever. Shooter, but with, shooter, what a guy. Um, I'm getting so excited about this movie. I'm just like, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm just like, imagining the whole movie instead of focusing on this. Yeah. That's what I'll be doing tonight. Um, yeah, speaking of not being perfect, we really veered off track. There. We uh, totally. Um, I have ADHD. I'm going to blame that. That me was too. me, shiny object squirrel. I chased it. Okay, we're back in. Imagine right, we're back your in. happy place. Happy. Back in. All right. So Happy's learning about his happy place and how important that is. And there's also a scene later in the movie, spoiler alert, where Shooter McGavin magically enters his happy place, and it's not such a happy place anymore. So that proves that you know you do have to practice and you do have to be intentional with your imagery but on top of that throughout the whole movie he's also learning the the technical and tactical skills so it's a combination of you know finding that happy place finding that uh, source of visualization and imagery that is beneficial for your game while also working on the skills and putting in the work to get there but mental skills like any physical skill it's not just a thing that you learn the concept and you can implement you have to practice it and you have to get good at it so this idea that, you know, if you write something in your journal five times and, you know, spin around a circle and say, it's going to happen to me, like it's going to happen. Not true. No, it won't. You have to put in the work and you have to be intentional or it's not going to come. Like, yeah, you might get lucky and it might come, but realistically, you got to put in the work. You have yeah. to be intentional with everything you're doing. Yeah. And that it's interesting. I, I've laughed, you know, the more I've done work in the corporate space, talking to people about just athletes and sports and, and mental performance, because it's, it's becoming so much more mainstream in sports and still <laughs> kind of getting into the corporate space, which is needed just as much. But it, it's always interesting when people talk about, well, they're born with a different mindset or, you know, they have the, all the abilities and there's guys that have different mentalities, no question. But what happens more often than not, it's just what you said, it's trained reps and really having a strong set of mental skills isn't, an ability to be perfect. It's a ability to be faster and how you bounce back and respond. Yeah. And we were talking off air beforehand about baseball season. It's been delayed. It's getting ready to start. And baseball is the game. I, I always go back to because I'm like, you're never going to go four for four every single game. Yeah. You're going to have an O for three game. You're going to have an error on the course of a season. If you're a pitcher, you're going to give up a home run. Like nobody has a perfect season, but how quickly can you bounce back or, how long do you fall apart? And really that's yeah. where the mental skill side is so incredibly important. It happens to us in life all the time. We make a mistake. We spend weeks and weeks beating ourselves up about it. We've given up on the habit because we got off track once or 
we mess up at a meal, we rebound at dinner and we're back on the streak. And so I love just reinforcing with everybody listening, everything we talk about on the show, everything Singham's talking about, it can be done, but it's done through reps. It's not a one time, it's going to change everything overnight. It, it's the Simon Sinek video I actually just shared yesterday on Instagram of like going to the gym once, not going to notice anything twice. You don't notice anything. Go to the gym for nine hours one day. You're still not going to notice anything. Go for 20 minutes a day. At some point, you don't know when, but at some point you're going to notice a big change. It's mm -hmm. because of that consistency working it. And, and even like you talked about journaling, five minutes every morning. It's not something you have to overthink. It's just putting your thoughts down. What did you learn? What are you thinking about? How are you going to reframe? Like little things that stack up over time. And so I love the reinforcement. I mean, I'm more excited that we have a happy Gilmore reference on it. <laughs> um, and I'm literally like, I'm going to watch that this weekend as like, what a perfect example Sam used to teach us of just an, a nice classic throwback. Um, so I absolutely love that. Sam, talk to me a little bit about the work you do now, because I know you're working with people. I know you're helping on the mental performance side. Uh, who are kind of the, the type of clients you work with most often right now? So currently, uh, I just started working with a company called CEP Mindset, Consistent Elite Performance Mindset. Um, and the company generally, we work with mostly hockey players, but um, I am doing some work with uh, some dancers. And aside from my work with the company, I am still working with uh, a junior A hockey team in Ontario. So they're uh, 17 to 20 year old boys. So they're a, they're a hoot and they do understand my like Adam Sandler, Will Ferrell references usually. So that's, it makes me feel good that, you know, the, the Will Ferrell and the Adam Sandler legendary on. movies are still, are still being present in the sports world. So I love that, but um you're going to have to throw a Chris uh, Farley at them sometime and see if they can stick. Oh, okay. I might have to give it a try. I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I want to hurt my own feelings with that. Like they, I, already, yeah. they just figured out how old I am and they were yeah, like, the, you're the, that old. And I was like, I'm not old. What is wrong with you guys? I'm not old at all. Stop that. One of my clients is like an office and the majority of the office are like twenties, early twenties. And the CEO is in his early fifties. And, and so we've laughed about like, He'll ask me stuff sometimes and I'm like, he's like, is it just like an age thing? And I'm like, no, it's not like, no, not at all. Some of this stuff, absolutely. <laughs> Movie references, book references, they are yeah. in a whole other world. But yeah, so it, it's pretty funny hearing you talk about people like, you're like, how old? And I'm yeah. thinking like, oh my gosh, like you're in your 20s and, and you're referencing this stuff. So uh, it's, but it's all about how can you meet the people you work with where they are? And if they yeah. understand Will Ferrell and Adam Sandler, awesome. If they don't, you'll figure out whoever it is to, to draw the, uh, the same comparison and storyline, which is why you're so good at what you do. Um, Sam, where is the best place for people to follow and connect with you on social media? I know you're a little active on there. And so would love people to follow along your work. And then if we have anybody listening that is a hockey player, is the mom or dad of a hockey player, uh, should definitely reach out and connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at Sam Levins one T, uh, and Instagram is Sam MP to make it really difficult. They're not the same. <laughs> That's okay. Mine aren't either. Mine aren't either. And I don't know what I would have to pay to get them or get them the same, but I'm just like, they're going to be different and that's yeah, it's okay. too much. It's already out there. Too it's many out there. people already know what it is now. You can't change it. It's, can't. it's too late. You can't. The only way you change it is if you ever bought at Sam and that was it. 
And then yeah. you're like, okay, that one would be worth it. I don't want to ask what that would cost because it's probably like the at Jake. It's not going to be cheap. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe once I'm actually old, not old, like oh. when junior players think I am, then I'll have okay. the investment, but I'm not even going to ask what, what age you quote think that is, because I personally believe you can be 60 and still younger than somebody that's 25. That's fair. All about the mentality, all about the mentality. Yeah. And Just reframe, you... reframe right. everything. It's all about, all about that reframe. All about I'll, it. Uh, Sorry, I was just going to say, I'll give you one more movie reference that yeah. I love talking to with the perfectionism. I just thought of it. It's one of my go-tos. Um, Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby. So the whole movie, it's, if you ain't first, you're last. If you're not perfect, you're a failure. But then we all figure out that like you can be second and third and fourth. You can even be fifth. Like This idea that you have to be the best or you suck is, is insane. You have to be perfect or you're a failure. Like, it's just, it's so unrealistic. And I just, I think there are tons of uh, fun movies that that actually teach pretty valuable lessons. So if you're not in the mood for like a boring documentary about psychology and, and neurons and neural pathways, just watch Happy Gilmore, watch Talladega Nights, learn your lessons that way. That That is it. You know, I, as you were saying that, I thought about the perfection side, the uh, Groundhog Day how yeah. every day it's a wake up and he's trying to do just the perfect thing to change the day. And it's, he just keeps batting over, batting over. And it's not about being perfect on that day. And, and for that movie, it's kind of about being in the moment and being about others. And so, you know, now I'm like, Oh, now I got to go back and rewatch some other stuff to think about what do I do. <laughs> I was really bad about that years ago. I would be, I'd go watch movies cause I'm a movie nut. Um, it's kind of used, it's really an escape for me, but when I was like in grad school, we had a, a movie theater like across the street from uh, the apartment complex my roommate and I lived in. And I would go on Fridays. I would stop class early or stop uh, online studying early, stop work early. And I'd go over there for like the first show of the day, like a one o'clock. It was like three or four bucks for a ticket. And I'd sit in there. Nobody would be in there. And I loved it because I could watch stuff. And if I had an idea, I could pull out my phone and make notes in the theater and not worry about like other people seeing the screen. And so now I get myself into trouble because if I see something like that, I'm like, oh, that would be a really good post or blog post or video. And now I have to get up and walk outside or walk down to the little alley and, or the little hallway and like take a note real quick and come back. And friends and wife or friends are like, did you go to the bathroom that fast? I'm like, no, no, no. I had to get on my phone. And they're like, what? I was like, I'll show you after. Don't worry about it. Oh, that's so funny. Never turn. You're going to need like a pen and paper with like subtle glow in the dark ink. Yes. I'll take yeah. my little remarkable uh, iPad thing with me somewhere and scribble on it. So that way it doesn't beep and I don't get lit up on it. And then in the theater, uh, oh, man, so boy, good. we are chasing some rabbits today. <laughs> uh, but man, it's been fun. Sam, so good to connect with you. I'm glad we got connected on Instagram a while back and LinkedIn and super grateful that you took some time today. Uh, everybody listen, if you haven't watched Happy Gilmore in a while, you should watch it. If you haven't seen it, period, you got to watch it and shoot us an email. Um, I just want to know what you think about old school Adam Sandler movies, as well as this idea of visualization, because you'll never get the picture of Shooter McGavin in the all black out of your head when you think about visualization isn't perfection, but how are you going to respond to it? So Sam, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was uh, great talking to you today. 
Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To get in touch with the team, drop us an email to podcast at competeeveryday.com. And to find out more about our resources, content, and gear that will help you build that winning mindset so you better compete for your best life, visit competeeveryday.com.